The worst advice I ever got was keeping it real. Yeah. But keeping it real in the cliche term mm. that the streets give you, yeah. which is actually keeping it criminal. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose. I'm so grateful that you keep taking out the time to invest in your growth, your education, and for you to move forward. And today's guest is going to help you do just that. Today's guest is super unique. It doesn't really need an introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway, because I think that it's important for each and every person that we have on the show. Today's guest is Charlemagne. He's best known for co-hosting The Breakfast Club. He's a social media influencer and executive producer, and someone who I think has a really interesting way of thinking about culture, media, and what's happening in the world today. And I can't wait to tap into that. Charlemagne, thank you so much for making the time, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you, man. What's thank happening? you for being here. Yeah, really good, man. Man, thank you. Yes, sir. But yeah, so today I want to dive straight in. Okay. I called the podcast On Purpose. I believe you're someone who's living a purposeful life, and I really want to dive into what that is. But I want to start by setting your background up a bit, because I want my audience to really learn about what you've been through, where you've come from. And now growing up, you went to jail quite a few times. Yes, indeed. Right? Tell me about what that experience looks like, feels like, and how you were able to evolve from it. That's an, that's an interesting question, because for me, the first time I ever went to jail, I didn't realize how much trouble I was in because the first time I ever went to jail was for assaulting Bradley with intent to kill. And it was me sitting in the back seat with one of my homeboys, another guy that was driving. And, you know, one of my homeboys shot at, at this, this car because me, we had just been arguing with the guys. We're not really arguing. We was in the neighborhood talking to their girls and they drove through and I was acting like Ice Cube and Boys in the Hood. I had my shirt up. I ain't even had no gun. It's got my shirt up. Like, hey, what's, what's up? Y'all got a problem? Y'all got a problem? So then when we left the neighborhood and went to uh, McDonald's, they followed us. They followed behind us and then they pulled up on the side of us and so my homeboy shot and they literally came and arrested me the next day from high school and you know, you got to think up until that point I had been getting into a lot of disciplinary problems in high school but I had never been into a situation serious where I had ended up in jail. So it's like when they put me in handcuffs in high school, I honestly, it didn't even dawn on me that, oh, shoot, I'm in prison. I mean, I'm in jail, in county jail. In my mind, I was like, I'll be out in, by Friday in time for the football game. You know, like I literally thought I was going yeah. home that day. And I remember, you know, the police officers giving me a statement to write. And I wrote this long, ex 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 lying ass story about how I was hitchhiking and, you know, I jumped <laughs> in the car with some hitchhikers and I don't know who the people were that shot. Just made up this whole BS story, you know. And I remember the, the officers coming back saying to me, you know, we was going we was going to let you go. But, you know, you, you, you sent us on this wild goose chase. And then my father. My father was like, look, you know, I'm going I'm to let you sit here for a while because, you know, this is what I've been trying to tell you your whole life. I've been trying to tell you that if you don't change your, your behavior, you're going to end up in jail, dead or broke, sitting under the tree. And, you know, he, he let me sit in there for like 45, 50 days. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he, he was he was actually he was waiting for the bond to go down as well. But he really wanted wanted me to learn a lesson. And, you know, I didn't learn that lesson the first time I went to jail. You know, I learned it more like the second a third time I went to jail because, you know, when I, when I first got out, I was I actually, the, the day I went out, I went right back to the hood and my father told me not to do that. And you got to think I hadn't smoked weed for 50 days. So that's, that's kind of like when my love affair with marijuana stopped. Cause I remember getting out after those 50 days and smoking weed and being so paranoid. And all I kept thinking about was I'm about to go back to jail. I'm about to go back to jail. I'm about to go back to jail. But I didn't realize at the time I was dealing with anxiety too. So not only was it the weed, 
It was just the natural anxiety that I had my whole life was causing me to have a panic attack. I remember having a panic attack at, at that football game. So, you know, for me, it, it was just a learning experience because it was, it was uh, validating everything my father was telling me. And my father was telling me that if I didn't change my behavior, if I didn't change my lifestyle, I was going to end up in jail, dead, or broke sitting under the tree. So when you see things happen to other people, you know, wise people learn from those mistakes. But, you know, you know a lot of times, you know, you, you have to go through things yourself, you know, in order to, to, to really learn from them. That's why they say smart people learn from their own mistakes. Wise people learn from the mistakes of others. I wasn't wise then, you know. I, I probably wasn't even smart, but I had to go through all of that, you know, just to just to learn the lesson that my father had been trying to tell me for years. Yeah, and what was it about that third time where you were like, okay, now I get it. Like, now I get the lesson. It what was, was it? It wasn't even necessarily just the third time. I remember the second time I, I got locked up, I got locked up for um, distribution of marijuana because I sold to an undercover. And they, they had a, a, a drug bus on on my, my the, the, the house we used to trap out of. Rest in peace to my man, Jarrell Garnett. And we all was in jail. And I remember just all of us being in the cell and just... I just threw up. Like, I literally, I, I wasn't drunk or anything. I just, I was just sick. Cause I'm like, oh my God, I'm back in jail. Like, but I, I was only there for the weekend. And then it was just like, you know, the third time was just like, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I put myself in such good positions, you know what I mean? But then I put myself in such bad positions. And it's like, yo, you can't, you know, play both sides. You know what I'm saying? You got to really do one or the other. So it, it was just me finally realizing once again, everything my father is saying is true. If I don't change my lifestyle, I'm going to end up in jail, dead or broke sitting under the tree. When you see people that you grew up with who you used to look up to and they really are broke sitting under the tree or you got people who end up going to jail for five years. Cause that was the first time my, my homeboy, he actually went to jail for five years. He was the first person I knew that had like, a, a, a longer prison sentence. And those five years seemed like forever until he came home. But those type of situations just finally made me say like, yo, this is real and I'm not yeah. going to waste my life. And I, and I always had this vision of the future, you know, cause I don't know what I was reading one day, but it just said everything you do in your life today directly impacts what happens in your life tomorrow. And, or maybe I saw back to the future and I was like, damn, I remember for real. Cause I believe in the space time continuum. So it's like, you know, you, you, you see what happens if you don't make the right decisions you know, in mm -hmm. your past, that will impact your future. And I always thought about that. You know, I thought about what my friends were doing or what my cousins were doing, you know, and and and, and what was causing them to be washed, so to speak, or causing them to end up in jail. And I, I just was like, I'm about to do the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I did. I started yeah. going to night school. I started, you know, working real jobs. Like I just did anything I had to do to create positive energy in my life. I love that, man, because I think a lot of us can have that experience, maybe not to the same extreme mm -hmm. of going to jail multiple times, but I think a lot of people listening right now, watching right now would say that we're not wise. We don't learn from the mistakes of others. We don't learn from hearing about the mistakes of others. We learn by unfortunately or fortunately going through the experiences. And one thing that you sparked was what you said about your father. There's, there's a statement that says the day that you realize your parents were right, your kids are telling you that you're wrong. Ooh. Right? You know, yeah, the day yeah, you realize yeah, your parents yeah. are right, your kids are telling you you're wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And we go through that process. I'm not a father yet, so I can't, I can't testify to that. I got but, three. Uh, you need some of my sperm? <laughs> what, you, what you trying to do? I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting. But I mean, do you have that sometimes? Do your kids, how, when you're coaching your kids or you're sharing that wisdom with them or insight with them? I haven't gotten to that point yet. Like my oldest daughter is 10. Okay. My other daughter is three and I got a seven month old. So I haven't gotten to that point where like my, like, you know, both my daughters have their own personalities. They're both very strong willed. 
But for the most part, you know, especially my oldest daughter, she really listens to me. My second daughter don't listen to me at all, but she's only three, so I got to give her time. But <laughs> yeah. my oldest daughter listens to me a lot, and she listens to me. Well, that's beautiful. And intently, you yeah. know, and and you know, she just I guess maybe because we're both Kansas, you know, my my my, my birthday is the twenty ninth, hers is the twenty seventh, so she's just in tune with me in a different way, and I think that she's grasping the concept of. Whatever happens today will dictate what happens in your life tomorrow. Because I realize she has a lot of plans. Like, mm. you know, she's been talking about going to Harvard for the longest. Then she started talking about going to UCLA because of their gymnastics program, if I'm not mistaken. Or, or the cheerleading. Might be cheerleading gymnastics. I don't remember. Some program UCLA had that she's really into. But then she says she wants to be a dentist. And, you know, she hears me talk about business a lot. And the one thing I do is if I'm on, a, like, a business call, if she's riding in the car with me, I have the phone on speaker. Because I, I don't think, I think kids, we learn, the stuff we think is in the background to kids is actually top of the mind awareness to kids. So when we're having these conversations, kids learn from that. Kids yes. learn from what they hear us say. Kids learn from what they see us do. So, you know, if you walking around your kids yelling and screaming and cursing all the time, don't be surprised when they start yelling and screaming and cursing. But when you having conversations about business and, you know, buying, you know, commercial real estate and franchising and, you know, whatever, whatever it is, like she takes all of that in like she yeah. wrote a screenplay the other day no way she wrote it for she, she just for, it was something for school but it was a screenplay i'm like how do you learn to write a screenplay and she was like because i read a harry potter book one time that was a screenplay i don't know if it was a harry potter but it was some <laughs> book that she read that was in the form of a screenplay right, but right. she wrote her own screenplay now she's she says i'm writing a book i don't want you to read it till i'm finished i'm like do your thing like i'm not gonna stifle anything you do creatively yeah, you know go that's beautiful man i yeah. think that's a great trip yeah kids don't do as you say they do as you do absolutely that's following that, that man yo that's fun, so funny you said that i was having that conversation with somebody earlier today and i was talking about or maybe it was yesterday but i don't remember i was talking about like how you know the, the, the stupidest thing you could tell somebody especially when you're a parent is don't do as i do do as i say no like mm -hmm. I'm gonna do what I see you do. I'm not, like I don't, I don't care about your your words and lip service. I care about your actions and deeds. Yes, and that's how all of us learn. Like, yeah, all like of we're, us. We're yeah. a, we're a visual people. You know, if you show me how to do something as opposed to tell me how to do something, I'm gonna learn faster. Well, at least I do. Yeah, me too. No, hundred percent, man. And and then th this seems like a massive switch in your life because you have this moment or few moments, and you're now saying you're going to night school. You start getting real jobs. You shift into being a local radio station. How does that shift happen? And why do you think you get start getting pushed in that direction of, of music and radio? That shift happened because I believe that positive energy activates constant elevation. And I mean, I always wanted to rap. Like I got, a, I got Wolverine tattooed on my arm holding a microphone. I got this when I was 17. So I always wanted to rap. And it's, it's you know, the, the, I got Wolverine holding a mic because I thought that the microphone was going to change my life. It did, just not the way that I thought it was going to. And so, like, you know, when you are a black man growing up in a, a certain environment, the people you see who, who are successful that look like you are usually in rap or they're usually in, you know, uh, athletics, you know. So so for me, I wanted to rap. So I I would be at these local studios. I was at a studio called TNT. And um, then I was at another studio called Never So Deep. You know, Never So Deep, those are my, that's my family. You know, Dr. Robert Evans and his son, you know, uh, Bless. And for me... I met this guy named Willie Will, and he's a radio personality. And he was a local radio personality at Z93 Jams in Charleston, South Carolina. And I remember just, you know, I'm like that now. If I see somebody doing something interesting, I just ask them, how did they get into it? You know, what, what, how, did you, how did you get into whatever it is that you're doing? And I said, how did you get into radio, man? And he was like, oh, I went down there and I got an internship. And he's like, oh, you went down there and got an internship. Like, like is that easy? And he was like, 
Yeah. I'm like, you don't got to be in school or nothing? He was like, nah. And this was 1998 in Charleston, South Carolina. So, it, you know, the, the entry, the path to entry was a little bit less difficult sure, than sure, it is sure. now. And so that's what I did. I went down there and I, I got an internship. And that's how I got my foot in the door of radio. And for me, a guy who never been to college, didn't have no college degree, might have just graduated night school and had my diploma. That was a huge deal for me because that was the first environment I was in that was like really corporate. Even though I had worked at, you know, telemar- uh, a, 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 a telemarketing place called Paragon Solutions. I worked at Demo in the Mall, which was a clothing store. But that was a big deal because that's, you know, for me, that's Z93. I'm from Monk's Corner, South Carolina. I, my whole life was Z93. Z93 is the heritage station in that area. It, it's still there right now. Wow. So that's what we used to always listen to. So for me to just be in that building, even though I was just an intern, you know, I was, you know, driving the station vehicle and going to get the, the Jock's Pizza, whatever it was, that just felt like such a big deal. Even just driving the truck and people blowing their horn at you and you, they driving down the highway like, oh, Z93. Like that was such a big deal for me. So that's that's how I got into that space, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Just just really following my dreams. And that's why I always say, I'm not afraid to say fuck my dreams. And then I, that, in my first book, Black Privilege, you know, I have a chapter called Fuck Your Dreams. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, it's fuck your dreams if they're not your dream. Because mm-hmm. rap really wasn't my dream. Rap was just something I wanted to do because I saw it working for other people. I saw it working for people who looked like me. So me following that dream led me to be in that recording studio. But what was really supposed to happen, I was supposed to have that conversation with Willie Will and Willie Will was supposed to introduce me to this game that changed my life, which is radio. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. I love that, man. And a lot of people won't know this as well is that mine's the same. So I have a microphone tattooed on my neck because I grew up wanting to be a rapper as well. So if you remember the source magazine, wow, so I wanted to be a rapper too. And I used to love, Love spoken word. That's a hand around it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Fist holding a microphone. Gotcha. So I used to love I used to love writing. I used to love word. And that was the same thing for me. And I had the same experience because I used to do internet Choice FM. Choice FM was London's because I yeah, got yeah, born yeah, and raised yeah, in London. Choice. So Choice FM was London's underground grime, you know, hip hop, wow. rap. That was our space. So I was interning there when I was around 16, 17. And for me, it was the same thing. And then I realized through the same process that what I loved was moving people through language moving mm. people through words. Communication. Communication. Yeah. That's what I love. So even though I'm not a rapper now in my life, my whole life revolves around a microphone, whether that's podcasting, whether it's video. But the point is it's using words to articulate a message that moves and transforms people's lives. Same here. That's, that's, impo- that's, that's, that's very interesting you say that because that's what I have always known, but just started to really understand. Like I, I, I tell people all the time, I've been doing radio 21 years, but I feel like the past two years I've been really walking in my purpose mm. you know and and I think that purpose is you know knowing that when you got a certain platform and you know when that platform gets to a certain level like you're here to deliver some some type of messaging mm. you know and I feel like that's where that's where I'm at now with it in my career that's awesome man what is the purpose where where is your purpose right now like what is it exactly and how is it serving people I've, 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 this is exactly what you just said yeah. serving people you know, I, I I wrote an article. I used to write for Ozone Magazine back in the day. I don't know if you remember Ozone. Mm-hmm. But I used to write for Ozone. And I remember writing this article called, What Would, it was What Would Jesus Do? So it was WWJD, but it was What Would Jesus Do If Jesus Was a Jock? So it was all of those initials, yeah. basically. And um, I was saying that if Jesus was alive, he would be a radio personality slash DJ. Because I really, truly feel like, we're public servants and we're here to serve the needs of the public. 
You know, uh, we're not public servants like police officers. We're not public servants like, you know, uh, firefighters, you know, but we're public servants being that every day somebody gets up in the morning, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. And we got to get them through. Mm. You know, we help them get their day started. We give them their news. We give them their information. We entertain them. We educate them. You know, we give them that energy. And I, I truly feel like that is what you're supposed to do when you have access to these big platforms. Like Malcolm X said, the, the person who controls the media controls the minds of the masses. And I mean, if you notice, we're getting fed, we're getting fed a lot of BS right now. You know, it's a lot of fear mongering going on. You know, it's a lot of uh, anti-intellectualism going on. And I'm not saying I'm the most intellectual motherfucker out here at all, <laughs> but I know the people who are. And being that I know who the, pe the people who are, I got a platform of four to five million people that they can talk to whenever they want to. Mm -hmm. So so that's what I use my platform for. If it's not me delivering the messaging that may impact somebody's life or affect somebody's life, I know the people that can. So for me, that's what my purpose is, to serve the needs of the public. And one of the biggest things I think that the public needs right now is we just need to be mentally healthy. Mm -hmm. And it's so wild to me. Everything that I'm realizing now, I always knew. Like I told you, I wrote that article about being a public servant a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And before that, I always knew that everything was mental. Like, I always knew that. And, and it, it, can, it can go back to, like, another bad creation saying everything is mental. Uh, you know, TLC saying everything is mental. Uh, you know, RZA saying everything is mental. Everything starts with your thoughts. You know, like, when they teach you in kindergarten, if you can conceive it, you can achieve it. Like, you have to be mentally healthy to even have that kind of optimism. And you wonder why so many brothers in the hood, so many sisters in the hood don't have that kind of optimism. It's because they're dealing with their insecurity and their anxiety and their depression and just trauma and pain. How can I think clearly? How can this tool that can change my life, which is my brain, how can I properly use that if I got all of these you know, obstacles and these, these, these distractions in my head that are keeping me from thinking optimistically. So yeah. that my, my biggest thing right now is just to, just, just to spread that word of investing in your mental wealth. Yeah. I love that, man. And that's the same reason why I started social media. Like my, my mission on social media is making wisdom go viral. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do you take this wisdom that's like hidden away? It was only for the elite or it was only for people who went and had these crazy experiences and adventures. How do we take that and spread it to everyone so that that average kid in London where I grew up or the average kid in New York City where we are right now can come across it and find it too. They don't need to go read a book right now. They don't need to go and travel halfway across the world to find it. And so with that, how did you start? Because you talk about how at 40, you had a spiritual awakening. How did you get to a point where you started to confront the fact that there were beliefs, pain, trauma from your past that you'd never faced before? And that's what's clouding and blocking so many people today. Our mental health or our mental wealth mm -hmm. is lost because we're clouded by all this pain from the past, challenges we never looked at. How did you start to confront that? And where can people start to? You know, I started unpacking a lot of that in therapy. Mm -hmm. You know, I always say that when it comes to therapy, you know, therapy is like having a real junky closet. Mm -hmm. So you got just a messy closet everywhere. So you start to pack up the things that you don't need and things that don't serve you anymore and you, you get rid of that. And the things you want to keep you hang up nice and neat and then you got room to bring new stuff in. But, you know, to, to get to that point, it was just me not only asking myself a whole lot of questions, having conversations with other people. You know, it's so funny, man. I got, like, friends who used to tell me that they thought I was a sociopath because I didn't really show any emotions or it didn't seem like anything ever got to me. You know, I, I didn't have empathy for other people and some of that could have been true 
But, you know, I just think that all of us are just so selfish. So we're all just stuck in our own world. And, I mean, I'm sure you can attest to the fact that when you really on your grind and you trying to get it, like, you're not thinking about nobody else. Like, when, it, when I was thinking about everybody else early on in my career, it was like I had a bunch of stuff weighing me down, you know? And it's like, yo, you can't take everybody with you until you get to where you're supposed to go. So I remember telling my homeboy, DJ Frosty, when I first got the job at the Breakfast Club, I said, you know what I'm going to do, man, this time around? Something I've never done before. I'm going to be completely selfish. I said, I'm going to focus on me and only me. And then when I get to where I feel like I, I need to be, I'm going to, you know, start, start bringing everybody else along. So for me, when I started just having conversations with other people, right, stop being selfish, like actually started listening. Because that's one thing social media did do it. It woke a lot of people up because, you know, just our language, like you would say little things. Right? I remember one time I got on, on Twitter and I said something about females. Like I thought, like, yo, females, whatever, whatever. And it was just like all these comments, you don't call women females. And I'm like, what the what the fuck? Since, what, since when don't we call women females? But that's just, you know, new language, new information. And instead of at first I dismissed it like, man, I don't hear that. But then after a while I had to just stop and say, OK, well, let me see why mm -hmm. they don't want to be called. Female. So they broke it down to me why they don't want to be called females. I like even, you know, conversations with, with black women, you know what I'm saying? Like black, we, we, we tend to take for granted, you know, black women, you know, like I never, I didn't, I, I, I told my, uh, I used to work with this young lady named Crystal. I used to have my TV show Uncommon Sense and she used to be on there. And I remember saying to her one day, like, I really did not know black women felt the way they felt, you mm -hmm. know, cause my whole life, the strongest people around me was black women. You know, my mother, my grandmother, my aunts, you know, my, my, my girl, who's now my wife. So I just wasn't paying attention to what they were saying. You know, I just assumed that they would always be there for us. And I just assumed that they were strong enough to handle any load. But, yo, they, they was tired. You know what I mean? And they was tired of a lot of the fuck shit that we was doing. So for me, just those type of conversations started making me be just way more aware of what was going on around me and it started making me be more aware of what was going on with myself and I remember having a conversation with my homegirl Amanda Seals and I remember Amanda saying yo brothers are damaged they don't want to admit that they're damaged and they don't want to do the work to get no healing and I remember just hearing that word healing and I remember saying to myself I'm gonna go get me some healing you know what I mean I'm gonna go get me some real spiritual emotional mental healing forget the gym three four times a week you know what i'm saying i'm about to start going to the therapist every week and i'm about to start meditating and you know i'm about to you know just just do whatever i got to do to really put myself in a mentally healthy space and then i wanted to get a, a handle on my anxiety so you know like panic attacks is something that i experienced my whole life and the last really well not the last really big really bad one but the one i had that made me realize i was dealing with anxiety was when i was back at home living in Monk's Corner, South Carolina, with my mother at like 31, 32 years old. My daughter was like two. My, my now wife had to move back home to Monk's Corner with her parents. And I had just gotten fired for the fourth time from radio. Finally started collecting unemployment because all the other times I was too proud to do it. So I started collecting my unemployment checks. And I remember driving down I-26 in South Carolina and feeling like I was about to die. Like, same feeling, the same shortness of breath, same crazy heart palpitations, had to pull over, drink some water, said a quick prayer, like, please, God, don't let me die on the side of the road. Like, I promise I'm going to the doctor tomorrow. Went to the doctor the next day. Doctor's like, yo, you got a healthy heart. Your heart is fine, you know? But he said, um, he said, have you, have you ever, have you, suffer, do you suffer from anxiety? And I'm like, no. He's like, it sounds like you had an anxiety attack. And I'm like, I've never had that before. But I thought about it. I'm like, yo, my whole life, 
I've had these things. And then the doctor said, are you stressed out about anything? I'm like, hell yeah. You know what I'm saying? So in my mind, I could always point to something else, mm. you know, so I didn't deal with it. But then once you get my next gig was the breakfast club, four or five years later, you richer than you ever been. You got more opportunities than you ever had, but you're still having the panic attacks. Mm. You're still having the anxiety. And you're like, okay, where is this coming from? And then finally my wife was like, yo, take your ass to therapy. Just go see what's up. Instead of flirting with the idea and talking to other people about therapy, go. And that's what I did. And mm. then, you know, when you start going to therapy, you start unpacking all kind of shit. Yeah. You start dealing with trauma from things that happened to you when you were young, things that you thought you dealt with that you hadn't. You know, you start focusing on your PTSD from things that happened to you when you was young. And then you start thinking about, you know, the pain and the hurt that you still feel from certain situations and you don't realize you have been redistributing that pain to other people for so long. That's why you didn't have no empathy for nobody else. Cause you really was hurting mm. and you've been hurting so long that you numb to what it is you actually feel. So, yeah, you know, I love that man. And, and, and that's the challenge, right? Like all of us have been through stuff, mm -hmm. but we've never unpacked it. We've never repacked. We've never unlearned. We've never figured it out. And that's why we end up in this position. And the problem is denial. We sit there and we deny that we have any experience of stress or pressure or anxiety when the truth is we're dealing with a lot of it. And I love that. I love the fact that you're making that point clear is that whatever you're experiencing, you're destigmatizing mental health because we think mental health has to be something super mental, right? Like we think mental health has to be something like schizophrenia or like a complete, exactly. a, a complete uh, personality disorder exactly. or something. We don't realize that it could just be Regular anxiety. Yeah. yeah. I, didn't, I didn't realize anxiety was a mental health disorder until I started going to therapy. Yeah. And I remember when they asked me to write, you know, my second book. Well, they didn't ask me to write one, but they wanted me to write a second book. And I was like, I really don't have anything to write about. Because at that point, I was really just trying to figure my life out. Because you got to mm -hmm. understand, like, when I started going to therapy, I'm, I'm 49. I might have started going to therapy around 38, you know, mm. early 39. And for me, it was like, yo, can you imagine thinking you had it all together thinking you knew exactly what, what, what was going on in the world. And then you start sitting down with a therapist and realizing you don't know shit, mm. realizing that, you know, you, you just, everything that you, you was raised totally wrong from in a lot of different ways. You know, you was raised wrong by the, the, the influences you had growing up. You know, you was raised wrong by the, the music you was listening to growing up. You was raised wrong by your environment. And you've carried all of this stuff with you into your adult world and you're still trying to function with, with, with this level of thinking and this level of understanding of things. But you've lived now, like you've lived and you've been around the world and you've talked to a lot of people and you've seen other things and you realize like, nah, this ain't, this ain't it, bro. Like we, we, we wrong. So imagine feeling like you know it all to realizing I don't know shit. Especially when you're an influencer. Yeah. Like you're an opinion maker. Like people come to you to listen to your thoughts. So. And then you have to go through that process. Absolutely. So the only thing I could do is like, you know what? I got to take people on this journey with me. Mm. Simple as that. Mm. You know, I remember, I remember telling my book publisher, like, look, you know, I've been going to therapy. I've been keeping a journal. I've been dealing with my anxiety, but then I realized I'm dealing with my PTSD. I'm realizing I got trauma from things that happened to me when I was younger. I'm, you know, talking about being molested when I was eight. You know, I'm talking about issues with my father, like all of these different things, you know, uh, fear of not being a good husband, fear of not being a good father, you know, fear of, you know, not being a good friend, you know, just all kind of different things. And so I just started turning these into a page in the pages of a book. And what I was trying to do, I was trying to translate what my therapist was telling me. 
but that doesn't work, you know, because what, what your therapist is telling you just helps for you to have a better understanding of what it is you're going through. So one thing that my therapist did help me do was to explain what I was going through better, but I brought in a doctor named Dr. Ish to give like the clinical correlations to everything that I was feeling. And, and, and that's, that's what was, that was really the most beautiful thing about the book. That was therapeutic for me. And I know people say that all the time when they write books, oh, it was therapeutic for me, but no, this was really therapeutic for me because this is not a, it's not a book about understanding. Mm. Like it's not a book, it's a book of confusion. It's a book of unpacking. It's a book of, this is all the shit that don't serve me no more. This is, this is what was fucked up about me. You know, and I don't want this no more. Like, here, y'all take this. This is gone. You know, because I'm at stage zero right mm -hmm. now. And guess what? Happy to be at stage zero. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, it feels good to not know. Yeah. You know, and it feels good to say you don't know. Yeah. And, and I feel like at 40, I'm doing more unlearning than learning. Absolutely, man. At this absolutely. point in my life. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's the biggest challenge today is like that ability to speed up unlearning, relearning, yes. right? Relearning again. And I think so many of us get blocked by thinking we know it all already. So I love that, man. It's a great message. Let's tap into some of those fears in a bit more detail because I think your unlearning and your healing in those are awesome. So if we look at something like parental paranoia, which I know a lot of people have, like becoming a parent, I'm not a parent yet. That's why I'm asking, but I'm also asking it because one area of wisdom that I don't talk about is parenting because I'm not a parent. Mm -hmm. And I know my audience cares a lot about this. So let's talk about that parental paranoia, which I think is very normal. How have you kind of grown to deal with that and work with that or heal that? You said something earlier. You said something about you. What'd you say? You realize your parent, when you realize the, your parents- The day you realize your parents are right, your kids are telling you that you're wrong. Yeah. And, and I, I guess that was another one of those moments, you know, um, only because you think about all the times- your grandmother used to, to trip out over you. All the times your mother and father used to trip out over you, uh, wonder where you was at and why you didn't come home. Like, I remember my father, you know, gave my, my, sister, my older sister a beating because she broke curfew. And, and I remember everybody running around the town looking for her, trying to find out where she was. And this and that. It's just like, that's a paranoia that only a parent can understand. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, the love you have for your children. Like, they, that, those are risks. I got three girls. So those are, that's really your heart outside of your body. Like you're looking like somebody just ripped my organ out and threw it on the table. And I'm like, yo, could you be more gentle with my heart? That's my heart. So it's just like when my daughter is on the way to school in the morning, you know, uh, her being at school right now, like I don't feel any sense of relief. Well, I got a sense of relief now because I know it's three o'clock. So she's out of school now. She got to school through 30. But I don't feel any sense of relief until I know she's home, um, you know, only because I don't know what she's going to experience at school, especially mm -hmm. nowadays. You know what I mean? Like, these kids are growing up way different than we ever grew up. And then you see stupid shit on the news like school shootings. And you're like, man, you know, like you start thinking the worst yeah. at all times, you know? And it's just like, those are the things that I'm afraid of, you know? Mm -hmm. And and even just when your your kids get older, I remember somebody asking me the question one day. Somebody said, which I think Jamel Hill asked me this. Jamel Hill said, are you, uh, would, would you, are you the type, are you the type of man you would want your daughter to date mm. or, or be with. And I was like, yeah, probably me from 35 to 40. Anything before that? Hell no. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. But but that's honestly, think about think about that question. Yeah. Like, if you got girls, are you the type of man that you would want your daughter to date? Like stuff like that is what'll help you go out there and get the healing you need if the answer is no. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. If the answer is no, then go out there and get that healing you need. Take your ass to therapy, whatever it is you got to do to, you know, be the man that you would want 
yeah. your daughter to date. So like I'm I'm paranoid about all of that stuff. Like I, it's certain things that I've already embraced. Like I know one day my daughter's gonna have sex. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. and then she's gonna get it. It's yeah. gonna happen. Like every woman that we love in our life has sex. Your mama, your grandma, you know, your sisters, your aunt. That's gonna happen. So it's just like. Things like that. I'm about to get a panic attack thinking about it, but that's just yeah, you, you like things like that is what you just have to accept. Yeah. You understand what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So it's just like, you know, I always got to remember my serenity prayer, man. And that's mm-hmm. just God grant me the serenity, accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Because there's nothing I can do. And that's somebody else told me that too. And that was like one of the most freeing things to me. They told me that you got to just let go. Yeah. Like no matter how I can I can grab my daughter like this and hold on to her tight. I've been I gotta let go. She's ten. My yeah. other daughter's gonna be older in a minute too. She's gonna be in school. Like they got their own lives that they gotta live. Their own lives that they gotta lead. Only thing I can do is just guide them along the way. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. No, you're spot on. And and I think that's like you said, that's a natural feeling everyone's gonna have. I always had that with my younger sisters. I've got a younger sister. I always felt like. I fathered her to some degree and there was always that feeling and that pain of seeing her date or whatever it may be. And you're right. That's just something you have to accept. Yes. And there's a big part of acceptance needed because you can't control everything. And that's also liberating when you figure that out, that not everything is for yours to control. Absolutely. And it's not for you to control. There is certain things to humanize yourself by and you realize, oh, actually, I'm not that significant because I can't control everything. And I have to learn to accept certain things. Yeah, I was going to write a book. I mean, I don't think I'm going to go with this title anymore just because the energy of it don't feel right. But, you know, at one point I was going to write a book called One Day Your Daughter's Going to Suck Dick and Other Things You Have to Accept as a Father. <laughs> well, so now what's he going to change the title to? I might not change. I just don't okay. know. That, that just feels a little too crash you yeah, know what i'm saying yeah, like yeah. I, I know that sounds crazy coming yeah. from me but i'm not i'm I've, I've i guess i've grown you know what i'm saying i guess i've grown because at one point i'm like yeah that's the tie i love that but then now it's like eh, i don't know if i want to put i that think it'll be there. a useful book though very useful. very useful book yeah but sometimes man you know you got to present the message in the right package yeah, you know right sometimes medicine. yeah people will dismiss you and and just because of that title, you know what I mean, which I think is whack. I'm not that kind of person. You know, I'm the type of person, if I see a book like The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, mm-hmm. I'm going to read that book. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, that's a dope title. Like, that grabbed me. But I know I come from a different generation. I yeah. come from a different culture. You know, I was going to name my first book, I Don't Give a Fuck and Neither Should You, yeah. a self-help guide on how not to give a fuck. Mm-hmm. And the book publishers was like, no, you'll never get into Walmart. You'll never get into Target. Nobody will buy a book with fucking the title. Yeah. And then here comes the Mark subtle Manson, art of not yeah. giving a fuck. Mark Manson sold goddamn over two million copies. And I remember sending that shit to air. I wrote about that book in my book because I was talking about how, you know, you sometimes you just got to sh- listen to yourself. Yeah, yeah. You know, like sometimes you're ahead of the curve and other people have to just catch up. And that's just yeah. the way our society is, especially when it comes to creatives. Mm-hmm. That's why you got to let creatives just be creatives because they're already 10 steps ahead of you. But you got all of these suits, whether it's TV, whether it's the so film true. world, whether it's books, like you just got these suits that are old and stuck in their ways. And being that they've they've never seen it work before, they'll tell you. It can't work. Yeah. Not knowing that you might be the first that changes the whole game. Totally. totally. Nobody nobody wants to be game changers anymore. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You look at Bohemian Rhapsody and Freddie Mercury. Yes. It's like such a game changer. And you look at anyone that we look up to or admire in the world, they've been game changers. Yeah. They don't write books about people who are not game changers. You don't make movies about people that are not game changers. But we've always been taught about how do you trust other people? We don't get taught how to trust yourself. Yes. Right? We, we get taught how do you communicate with other people? We never learn how to communicate with ourselves. Yes. And so if you never trust your own self, you're always looking for validation. Like, hey, do you think this is a good idea? 
hey, suit, do you think this is a good idea? Hey, suit, do you think this is a good idea? And then that suit becomes your validation and your decision maker. Absolutely. And those are the most uncreative people in the world. Like, I've never been more confident in my life than I am right now. Mm. And I'm confident in the fact that I don't know shit. Yeah. And I'm comfortable with that, you know? And I'm confident in the fact that I am a person who truly loves themselves. And the reason I truly love myself because I've done the work to truly love myself. And it's easier for me. And I guess that's why I get hurt a lot because I am a loving, trusting person. Because I'm I'm at the point in my life where I just, I try to see the good in everybody. You know what I mean? And and, and I don't expect you to fuck me over. That's another lesson I've recently learned. Yeah, go for it, man. I used to, I I still believe in the law of attraction, meaning that your thoughts become things. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't necessarily think I believe in energy as far as like, whatever you put out, you Mm, get back mm, mm. because it will always be somebody else out there who's having a fucked up day Mm. who will ruin yours. Cause you gotta think all Mm. all we're trying to do every day is avoid crazy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, We're just trying to stay out of the way of negativity, crazy, evil. But guess what? Sometimes there's people out there who are hurt Mm -hmm. and they haven't done the work on themselves and they haven't, you know, gotten to that place where they're trying to do any healing. And so hurt people, hurt people. And sometimes we run into those people and it has nothing to do with anything that we did. We just happened to run into, you know, some of that negativity that day. Yeah. So, so that's just, that's just something I've been thinking about. So it's just like, yo, you just gotta, you gotta do, you gotta put that kind of energy out there just because you like putting that kind of energy out there. Not because you're putting that kind of energy out there because you want to get it back. To get it back. Yeah, absolutely. And I've realized actually that when you put out good, it does come back to you just not in the same place as you put it. Yes. Right? Like it will, that energy will transfer back, but not in the same place as you put it. So just because you put good energy into work, doesn't mean good energy is going to come back to you through work. Absolutely. Just keep a good energy into this person. Doesn't mean this person's going to give you good energy back. Absolutely. And that's our expectation is that we think like, if I'm nice to this person, they'll be nice to me. And that's not going to work like that. No, be nice right. to that person because you want to be nice to that person yeah. and put a period on it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that, man. And I, one thing you mentioned earlier that I want to dive into now, which is more about your understanding of culture and where you see it going. And you spot it. You said that I grew up listening to the wrong type of music or there was music that you think created an environment and pushed you down the line. You even said when you were thinking about people that look like you, there were certain things. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk a bit about how much you think music through all of its, you know, whether it's bad language, whether it's idolizing going to prison, whether it's idolizing guns and gangs, whether it's demeaning women or men even, like where are your thoughts on that and and how do you think that needs to evolve or do you think it does at all? No, I think it I think it has evolved. Okay. You know? I mean I grew up in the nineties. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in the era of gangster rap music. So yep. it was it was all about, you know, the celebration of violence. It was all about the glorification of the gang culture, the glorification of the drug culture, and the extreme disrespect of women. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean you talking about, you know, whether it was AMG, bitch better have my money, or Snoop Dogg, bitches ain't shit but hoes and tricks, you know what I'm saying? Uh, NWA, I teach you how to suck a dick. Like, you know, I remember Cameron said, you know, niggas think to, uh, what he said, niggas think to reach a bitch, you gotta, what he said, oh yeah, niggas think to reach a bitch, you gotta treat a bitch. Now you stupid motherfucker gotta beat a bitch. I say, like, reach a bitch. Who thinks she all that? Whip her one time, 10 minutes, she'll call back. Like all of these, like, like that's what we were constantly listening to all the time. And when you go back and you look at like C. Dolores Tucker and Al Sharpton and all of these people who were saying, yo, this music is messed up. It's ruining our kids. Like, you know, r- rappers, y'all need to do better. Record labels need to stop pushing this shit. We rebelled against that. You know, you know what, you know what we said to C. Dolores Tucker? What? Shut up, bitch. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, like that, God bless the dead. That's what we did. We rebelled against that. But she was right. You know? And so it's like a whole generation of, of, of us was affected and influenced by that kind of rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think that it's until you get older and you start having daughters of your own, uh, you know, that's why I think the Me Too Times Up movement is so good because the Me Too Times Up movement is, is like, a, like, a, like a day of reckoning, you know, and it's making a lot of people look in the mirror and, 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 and it, the culture has shifted and, you know, either you evolve or die, mm-hmm. you know, and that's something I saw like four years ago, you know, before there was a Me Too Times Up movement. Like I, like I said, I don't know if it was my daughter, uh, like my wife checking me, you know, because I was really on some hip-hop, Howard Stern shit like like that all of that got to my head mm-hmm. you know when they was calling me the hip hop Howard Stern and the black Howard Stern and you know when I grew up listening to Howard like Howard was on some frat boy you know rapey borderline, borderline rapey culture not even borderline rape, rape culture rape shit. culture and so it's for like for me I'm like okay that's what I'm gonna do I'm gonna be shocking I'm gonna say the most creepiest things to women in interviews you know I'm gonna bring porn stars in here and tie them up I'm gonna do like all of that kind of stuff and that has been the most low energy content that I've put out put out there. If you ask me, mm. you know, like when I'm having conversations with people, ain't nobody bringing that up to me. Ain't nobody saying y'all you did this and you did that. They talking about the more high level stuff that I've I've put out there in the past few few years that has really influenced people. So it's just like I was doing all that for nothing. Mm. You know, if anything, all that did was come back and bite me in the ass later on in life. Because when they start digging up old tweets and listening to, listening to old commentary. They're like, look, I'm like, man, I'm not even remotely that guy anymore. Like, yeah, that's eight, nine years ago. Like, I'm I'm over here with it. But you got to deal with that because that's mm-hmm. part of me, too. I put that out there, you know. So for me, it's just like I, so I was just reading Howard Stern's new book. And Howard Stern got this. His whole introduction is literally about that. His whole introduction is about how he doesn't consider anything he did back then good. Wow. He was like, that shit is cheap. It was it was it was whack. It was disgusting. And he was and 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 this is a guy. He don't he don't got to answer to nobody. No, he don't have to admit that. You know, he was just like, that's not who I am anymore. He said he said he said this book this book that he put out is his legacy book. He was like, this is what I want to be remembered at. Mm-hmm. I want these long form interviews to be what people remember me for. And so it's like, it's the same thing with me. Like you know, you grow up a certain way. Like I remember having a I remember having a conversation with my father when he was cheating on my mom. And I'm like, oh, you cheating on mom, yada, yada, yada. And I remember him looking at me and laughing and saying, oh, you only got one girl, huh? And like, yeah, one, one, one day you'll understand. So in my mind, from that point, I'm thinking, so I'm not supposed to have one girl. I'm supposed to have a bunch of different girls. And then, you know, you also realize that a lot of that is just ego. Mm. You know, men, men, I say it all the time, men only sleep around with a bunch of different women to feed their ego. They're looking for some sort of validation. You know what I'm saying? Like their, their cup is empty. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to fill their cup up and they keep wondering why all right, I can sleep with 10 different women and my cup still don't feel full because it's a hole at the bottom of your cup. Like you need a whole new cup, brother. Mm. You know? So it's just like, for me, it, all of these things I'm talking about created just a culture shift and a, created a spiritual awakening in me. Like I can't pinpoint one specific thing that made me say, you know what? I got to be a better human being. Yeah. I got to be a better man. Cause I was, I was on this journey four years ago, four or five years ago. And that was just from listening to my friends and listening to women around me who, who cared about me and, and was, t- were telling me what I was doing wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And, 
you know, even even some of social media, not all of it, because it's yeah, not yeah. constructive. But some, a lot of it can be constructive criticism because you start seeing things and you're like, am, am I that way? Mm. Do I really act like that? Do I really move like that? And then when you take a step outside of yourself, you put your ego down, you're like, oh, I see what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I love hearing that, man, because I think just the fact that you can get that open in front of a mirror and be okay with the fact, and what you've just said about how it's turned, getting okay with the fact that you don't need to tell anyone you've changed. You don't, you don't, owe, you don't feel like you owe anyone anything. You've done your thing, but to be able to go out and just say, I got it wrong. I messed up. That yeah. was a waste of time. I think it's amazing that we live in a world where we have people doing that because it's so easy to continue playing the facade and faking it the whole way and pretending like it never happened. Yeah. Right? You can grow and just pretend like it never happened. Yeah. I mean, but, that, that's, I mean, listen, I, I would never grow and pretend it never happened only because all my favorite stories growing up were the stories of people's growth and evolution. Yeah, absolutely. Man. You know, I love the autobiography of Malcolm X and I say it all the time. This generation wouldn't let Malcolm Little become Malcolm X. You know, I I, I love, I, I was talking about Kim Kardashian earlier today. I'm like, Man, I don't give a fuck how Kim Kardashian career started. Kim Kardashian is out here getting people free from prison. She's mm -hmm. become this, you know, criminal justice reform activist, you know, this mm -hmm. prison reform activist. And she's using her privilege and she's using her money and she's using her fame to get people free from prison. Mm -hmm. Who saw that coming? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know it's a saying? great surprise. Like, yeah. I used to work right over there on 34th Street on Park Avenue, WBLS, when I was Wendy's co-host. I used to watch Kim and Courtney come hang out with my homegirl, Nicole Spence. She was Wendy's booker. Like, they used to come and just hang out in Nicole's office trying to get an interview from Wendy when she was, like, organizing Paris Hilton's closets. And Wendy, Wendy was like, all right, come in. And she came in. And then, you know, when, when, when the sex tape happened, she came back to talk to Wendy exclusively. And I saw, I remember when Kim, Kim ran through the whole Urban Circuit, Smooth Magazine, King Magazine, was out there kicking it with the rappers, dating the rappers, video vixen. Then she grew a reality TV star. And now she's a a wife and a mother and she's a, one of the biggest brands on the planet and she's getting people released from prison. Like, you don't know what somebody's ultimate journey is going to be. You don't know who, we really don't, we really have no idea who's going to change the world. Mm -hmm. You can't ever tell. You can't ever look at a person and say, oh yeah, that's going to happen. You mm -hmm. really don't know. Sometimes it comes from the most unlikely places. Who would have thought a pimp from Harlem would have ended up being one of the greatest activists leaders the world has ever seen. You don't, you you really don't know. Yeah. You know, look at Jay-Z, drug dealer from Brooklyn, Marcy. Now look what he's doing with the, the Reform Alliance and, you know, and, and, and telling everybody to embrace black ownership and black entrepreneurship, something that he's been doing from the beginning. Honestly, he's been, he's been on his black ownership tip since the beginning. But you're looking at this man and you say, man, this man is really evolving into the leader of the free world. He mm -hmm. said that one time. I remember one on, 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 I think it was on ignorant shit. He was like the next Leo. No, more like the leader, of the, the next leader of the free world mm -hmm. or something like that. And I'm like, that's really what he's evolving into. This mm -hmm. is the guy who made Big Pimpin'. <laughs> this is the, that, that's, not, that's not a more misogynistic video in the world, but now this guy's married to one of the most beautiful women in the world and beautiful kids. And like, he's telling people about therapy. And like, man, it's, it's like, man, it's a beautiful time, man. But I'm saying all that to say, you just don't know who's going to yeah. be who. Yeah. You just got to let people grow. You got to let people evolve. You got to let people make their mistakes. Yeah. You know, we're all works in progress. I don't know what I'm going to be 10 years from now. Yeah. I, I have no idea. And guess what? I'm fine with that.
10 years ago, you'd have asked me what I'm going to be 10 years from now. I'd have had a whole list of things <laughs> lined up for you. I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that, I'm be that. And guess what? It's all true. Yeah. You know, but you tell me what I want to do on a professional level. Yeah, I can tell you some things I want to do on a professional level. On a personal level, I just want to continue to grow. Yeah. I want to continue to heal. I want to be the best I, I can be mentally. I want to be the best I can be spiritually. I want to be the best I can be emotionally. That's what I want to do on a personal level. The personal growth is more important to me than the professional growth at Absolutely, this point. Absolutely, man. I love that. What a powerful message, man. That's just, I love it. I'm just listening and going, this is exactly what the world needs to hear right now because right. we need to let people grow. Mm. Like we need to let people evolve. We need to let people change their story and write another chapter because the challenge is we want them to stay in their chapter. Yes. We want people to stay in their lane. We want people to stay in their box and not give them an opportunity to become something else oh, because well, we're like, oh, we know what you did. We know what you did before, mm -hmm. but we need to let them grow. Well, you know what they say? They say when you, when you can't stop somebody uh, from 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 who from being who they are, you keep trying to bring up who they used to be. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and I always I, I talk about how imagine fifteen years ago you was driving down a highway and the speed limit on the highway was seventy miles per hour, so you would do seventy. Sometimes you do seventy five, eighty because you know you can get away with it. You know, but then fifteen years later they've reduced the speed limit on that highway to fifty five. Why? Because seventy was too fast. It was too many accidents happening. Too many fatalities, you know, uh, people was just really getting hurt. So it was safer for people to be doing 55 miles per hour. Okay, boom. Speed limit gets reduced to 55. 15 years later, you're grown, you're evolved, you get it. You're driving 55. Sometimes you might do 60 because you know that's what you can get away with. Yeah. But imagine you go home and then all of a sudden you start getting tickets in your mailbox because you was doing 70 15 years ago on this highway that is now a 55. It's like. I was doing <laughs> what I was allowed to do. At the time, that's the information I was presented. They told me 70 was the speed limit I could do, so that's what I was doing. Now that I found out that the speed limit isn't, you know, uh, conducive to me living a healthy lifestyle or anybody on that highway living a healthy lifestyle, I'm going to drive the speed limit because I want all of us to live in, on, on this journey called life. I want all of us to be peaceful on this journey called life. I want all of us to live safe on this highway called life absolutely man this has been such an amazing conversation and every podcast we finish it with the final five so these are final five rapid fire questions you can answer in one word okay. three words or one sentence maximum okay. right easy for you you're a lyricist you're a rapper so this is part of part of the play so final five first question what do you think is the greatest hip-hop album of all time only built for cuban links by raekwon the chef oh nice okay it's question two if you could change one thing about humanity what would it be I, I would want everybody to love. Okay, nice. Question three. What's the best advice you've ever received? <sighs> best advice I've ever received? Um, hmm. Take your time. Honestly, man, I would have to give that credit to my father mm. when he told me that if you don't change your your lifestyle, you're going to end up in jail, dead, or broke sitting under the tree. And, and the reason I got to credit that to him because what he was telling me back then is you have to grow, you have to evolve. Mm. And that is something that even though I don't, ha I don't have no threat of jail, I mean, we all have a threat of death, you know, but I, I, don't, I don't have any threat of being broke sitting under the tree. It's just that at every point in your life, it's going to be, it's going to call for a new you. Mm. And it's going to call for you to grow and it's going to call for you to evolve. And if you don't evolve, you will die. Absolutely, man. Question four, what's the worst advice you've ever received? 
Worst advice I ever received was, fuck that, you're going to be a real nigga for the rest of your life. You know, like, that's just just stupid, Mm. you know, because there's so many of us. I've seen so many people fall victim to just stuck on that one mindset. Like, Mm. they just had to stay in tune with the hood and they just so much so that they would still hang out in the hood like I've, I've, I've had homeboys who got them scholarships to go to college but they just wanted to come home all the time just to hang out in the trap you know what I mean and that's exactly what happened they ended up trapped in our hometown mm. you know they ended up you know they ended up just not evolving the way that they probably would have if they would have stayed in school and stayed in college and actually took advantage of the scholarships and stuff that they were presented. So mm. it's just like, yeah, like, you know, just keeping it, keeping it real in the cliche. That's the worst advice I ever got. The worst advice I ever got was keeping it real, yeah. but keeping it real in the cliche term mm. that the streets give you, yeah. which is actually keeping it criminal, mm. you know? Keeping you locked. Yeah. Cause keeping it real is what I feel like I'm doing now. I'm, mm. I'm like, I don't know nothing. I'm in, I'm going to therapy. You know what I'm saying? I'm afraid of being a terrible father, being a terrible husband. So, yeah, yeah. That's, I feel like I'm more real now than I've ever been. Nice, man. And question five, what's the one thing you're trying to learn this year? Hmm. I'm actually trying to unlearn more than I'm trying to learn. Love I don't that. think I'm really trying to learn anything. I'm just still unlearning a lot of a lot of things. I feel like unlearning is learning, at least for me. Agreed. You know? So it's just like I'm still just peeling back a lot of layers of, of 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 BS and a lot of layers of nonsense. And I'm just I'm just really just trying to learn how to how to love more. I know that sounds so cliche, but it's the truth, man. Like mm-hmm. I promise you, like if we all just first of all, I gotta start with you. Your first, last, and best love is self-love. If you love yourself, it will be so easy for you to love others. And you know, I, I started thinking about this a lot when the Nipsey Hustle situation happened. God bless the day. Because I never in my life felt empathy for both parties in a situation like that. You know, I knew Nipsey, you know, Nipsey was a a great brother. You know, me and Nipsey used to share books and stuff like that. He was a, he was a good man, you know? And of course I was going to have empathy for him. Of course I was going to have empathy for his family. But when I heard what happened and then, my my homegirl, Lisa, sent me the goddamn video and I don't watch stuff like that, but I didn't know what it was. So I clicked on it and watched it. And I didn't think I was going to have empathy for the guy who actually shot Nipsey, but I did. And that was a strange feeling for me. And the reason I had empathy is because I understand that that brother was in some type of pain. Hurt people hurt people. And if we don't start healing each other to deal with that hurt, all we're going to do is redistribute that pain the other people. And that's what happened that day. That was a redistribution of pain. So mm. Nipsey was a loving brother. He was a brother that put out good energy. It didn't matter. It goes back to what I said earlier. Sometimes you run into negative people. Sometimes you run into evil people. Sometimes you run into people who haven't healed at all. And all they want to do is hurt you. So it's just like, when I saw that, I just had a different feeling of of empathy, mm. you know, for, and I never felt that way before. I never thought I would feel that way about somebody like, him, but it just really made me say, man, I just, I just want to go on this, this, this mission of like, just helping brothers really, really heal. Like I've been out here talking about mental health and investing in your mental wealth, but no, like I really, really got to go out here and, and help brothers heal. You know what I mean? So we can stop hurting each other. Yeah, absolutely, man. When you're, when you're 
hurt, you end up cutting people who didn't make you bleed. Oof, right? Powerful, yeah. You do that all the time. When we're hurt, when we're wounded, we go and cut others, yeah. even though they didn't do anything to us. Yeah, we, ble we, we bleed on people who didn't cut us. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. man. Absolutely. Charlemagne, you incredible man Thank this you, has been brother. one of my Appreciate favorite you, conversations honestly you really brought your energy man i loved it it's been an hour already every, yeah man it's wow. been an hour already i, I would, i've got like a million more questions to ask you so we got to do round two <laughs> but uh thank you so much and everyone who's been listening or watching make sure you share your insights on instagram tag both of us anything that you learned anything that you gained share it with your communities there's so many great talking points in this conversation make sure you get those insights make sure you get them out there make sure you've subscribed and rated to the podcast and make sure you go find out where charlemagne is Charlamagne, where's the best place that you'd like them to come find you? Um, I'm on Instagram at C the God, C T H A G O D. I'm on Twitter at C the God, C T H A G O D. Absolutely, man. You know, go grab my yeah. books, Shook One, Anxiety Playing Tricks on Me, yeah. and Black Privilege Opportunity Come to Those Who Created, both national bestsellers. Absolutely. Go get those guys. We'll put those links in the bottom as well. Thank you so much, Charlamagne. Honestly, my man. brother. Thank appreciate you, man. It, man. Appreciate it's such you. a pleasure, man. Yes, it's sir. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening through to the end of that episode. I hope you're going to share this all across social media. Let people know that you're subscribed to On Purpose. Let me know. Post it. Tell me what a difference it's making in your life. I would love to see your thoughts. I can't wait for this incredibly conscious community we're creating of purposeful people. You're now a part of the tribe, a part of the squad. Thank you for being here. I can't wait to share the next episode with you.